Welcome to Into the Fray. I'm your host, Austin Neil Gregory, and this week we're continuing our Galatians study with episode three titled Seat at the Table. Enjoy. In the story of the Old Testament, we see in the early pages of Genesis, Yahweh, the God above all other gods, choose one people to be the foundation on which he will begin to redeem the whole world. We see this in stories like Noah and the flood, where God chooses Noah and his family out of the whole world to be the remnant that he uses to birth a new creation. As the old is washed away, Noah and his family will be the start of something new that God that Yahweh is doing. But as the story goes, humans, these people God chooses to use always fail. They fall short. And so God continually in his patience and his grace continues the story of redemption by choosing over and over and over again someone or some family or some people to be the start of the new act that God is doing in the world. Again, all for the purpose of redeeming what was originally lost. Now, one of these stories where God raises up a leader is in the story of Abraham, which we will discuss more later on in another episode. But in short, God raises up Abraham, and through the lineage of Abraham, God will build a family that will be a blessing to all the earth. Now, Abraham had a son named Isaac, and then Isaac had a son named Jacob. So, Jacob is Abraham's grandson. A member of this family chosen by Yahweh God to be the means by which Yahweh will save the world. Jacob's important. Here's why. In Genesis 32, it says, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, the man touched Jacob's hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with this man. Then the man said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men, and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please, tell me your name. But the man said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Beniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Now, there's a lot that we could talk about here. This is an interesting story, right? I find John Walton's explanation of this helpful. He says, Jacob was 97 years old at this point, so he could hardly be considered a challenge to an angel in physical terms. When the text tells us that Jacob's opponent could not overcome him in verse 25, it is not suggesting that Jacob was physically besting the man. The ease with which he inflicted physical damage on Jacob indicates that any ability must have been in the spiritual arena, not the physical one. Meaning, don't think of this wrestling match, as it's probably labeled in your Bible, with Jacob and the stranger as a physical UFC showdown. Now, the text shows that Jacob is physically fragile as one touch knocked his hip out. 
Rather, something spiritual is going on here. Walton continues, One tale from Hittite literature has some intriguing features in the context of a ritual to honor the gods Teshub and Hebat. The goddesses speak something to the king and begins to depart, or at least states an intention to do so. The next section has some familiarity. This is an excerpt. The king answers, come back. The goddess says as follows, If I come back, will you in whatever manner, such as with horses and chariots, strive to prevail over me? The king says as follows, I shall strive to prevail over you. The goddess says as follows, Make then a wish. The king says as follows, Give me life, health, sons, and daughters in the future, strong weapons, and put my enemies under my feet. John Walton says, clearly this is no actual combat here. Common features include only that the human being detains the deity, conveys his intention to prevail, and requests a blessing. The most important common motive to be recognized here is in the human risk in initiating a confrontation, though it never becomes physical, with a divine representative in order to gain an audience and receive blessing. Jacob and the Hittite king were both pursuing the same sort of goal. End quote. That goal being to receive a blessing. Jacob wrestled with a representative of God. We know this because Jacob refers to the being as both a man and an Elohim, which means a God. Elohim, which is a general term referring to many different spiritual beings, not a God of the universe that you may have in mind. Though that is included, but it can also refer to many different spiritual beings. Along with that, Hosea says in chapter 12, 4, that Jacob wrestled with an angel a messenger of Yahweh in order to receive a blessing. Now, you may be wondering, how the heck does this have to do with our text in Galatians? To be fair, I'm asking the same question. The point in this whole story is that Jacob's name changes to Israel, meaning he strives with God. Later in Exodus, we see the descendants of Jacob, referred to as the children of Israel. So, connect the dots. Jacob is now Israel. Children are descendants. The people of Israel are the people from this man whose name was changed from Jacob to Israel. Yahweh had made promises to Israel and the family that he would, through this family, bless the nations. The nations of whom Israel constantly was at war with, whether that's Egypt or Babylon or Rome, Israel was being called out of the world to be a holy, a separated people through whom God would bless and redeem the others. Now, what is interesting is in the story of Jonah, we see God use someone from this family of Israel to go and speak to the city of Nineveh, a pagan city. Outsiders to the family God has chosen. And when Jonah, a descendant of Israel, hears this, he is repulsed. Why? Because he knows who his God is. His God, Yahweh, is patient and kind and gracious. He's a God who will forgive those who do not deserve forgiveness. Jonah According to the story, he's annoyed by this. He gets up in his own egotism, his own self-righteousness, that he becomes angry at the very purpose God chose the nation of Israel for. He chose Israel as a means to save the world, yet when God chooses to do this, Israel drops the ball. What's interesting is then that in Galatians, we see Paul have a struggle with Israel, people of whom he would be a part and of the foremost. So, let's read Galatians 2, 1-6. Then after fourteen years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them the good news that I proclaim among the Gentiles. In order to make sure, I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, someone from outside the family God had chosen, 
who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in the anointed one, Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth, the good news, might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me, God shows no partiality, those I say who seemed influential added nothing to me. Paul here starts taking us through the storyline of this conflict he has been having for quite some time. Paul and Barnabas and Titus all go up to Jerusalem to meet with the leaders of this new movement called the Way. Or as we would think of it today, to meet with the leaders of this new movement, Christianity, the way of following Jesus. Paul goes up to meet with the leaders, those who have the influence to pay his respects essentially and to make sure that you know, there's this mutual respect and admiration for each other as they seek to accomplish the same goal. That being to share the good news of Jesus. Now, Paul is doing something a little different though. See, Paul is sharing the good news, but he's been sent to share it with the Gentiles. Whereas the leaders of the church so far have been sharing it with the people of Israel. Both of whom need to hear the good news, to be clear. But this is where we've really got to make this clear. Jacob was renamed Israel. So, when the Bible refers to people called the children of Israel, the Bible is referring to this family that was chosen by Yahweh to be the means to save the world. Are you catching this? Yahweh did not choose Israel and then tell the rest of the world and surrounding nations to go screw themselves. No, Yahweh chose Israel to be a part of his plan in bringing the Messiah, the anointed king who would set all captives free regardless of race, religion, gender, sexuality, whatever. The Messiah is coming for everyone. And God will use this family of Israel to be the means by which this anointed king will come through. And Paul, someone from the family of God, Israel, after having it revealed to him that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, now has a mission to go and share this good news specifically to the people who were not initially a part of the family of God. But this came with some problems. There were some hiccups along the way with this. That being that there was some opposition. People who oppose the way that the Gentiles, people outside of the family of God, were now entering into the family of God. Now initially, when Paul went on this mission to share the good news of these outsiders, Peter, James, and John, the leaders of the church, the leaders of this movement called the Way, or Christianity as you may know it, gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and Paul. They linked up with him. They says, as it says in verse 9, the only emphasis these three leaders asked of Paul and Barnabas was that they quote remember the poor end quote so everything was good just remember the poor right now why was that so critical to mention just as a side note remember the poor because remembering and caring for the poor was an early sign of this kingdom Jesus was building I mean when you think of Jesus inauguration of this new kingdom and the early chapters of Matthew when Jesus steps onto the scene the people that are described as being the first to be a part of this new kingdom Jesus is establishing are the poor, the sick, the lame, the bottom of the barrel to society. So, to keep in step with Jesus' mission, Paul's encouraged to keep this love for the poor going, as that is a key way to mirror the lifestyle of Jesus. But even though that is the only known issue Peter, James, John, and made sure to clarify upon Barnabas, Paul eventually would have a confrontation with one of the le these leaders of the church. In verses 11 through 14, Paul says, 
But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself. Talking about Cephas. Fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now, to be clear, Cephas is the name for Peter. So, Paul has a confrontation with one of these leaders of this new movement called the Way. That leader being Peter, the famous Peter that is referred to as the rock of the church. When Peter came to Antioch, Paul decided to confront him. But why? Isn't that divisive? Why would Paul want to cause any more trouble? This dude is new to this movement, right? Peter's Peter's like an OG. He's always been a part of it. Paul was new. Also, Paul... He's already probably rubbed people the wrong way, you know, with the whole killing Christians at one point, and then he converts, and now he's a part of this new movement. There's definitely going to be some mistrust there. There's going to be some kind of on-edge feelings, you know, that these new members have, or these members have towards Paul. So wouldn't he want to do his best to stay in their good graces? Paul does. But one of Paul's key themes is, if you remember, this idea of oneness. Paul wants to see unity in this new movement. But it turns out, Peter is actually being the divisive one. Paul's not divisive for calling Peter out. Paul's calling Peter out because Peter's being divisive. The rock of the church is the one who has missed out on this new work God is doing. See, Peter and Acts had this vision from God. Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, Peter fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds, and a voice came to and said to him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheep suddenly pulled up to heaven. See, many conservative Jews, even Jesus-following Jews, refused to eat with Gentiles because Gentiles, people outside of the original family of God, were seen as unclean people. They were seen as unclean people because of how present idol worship and sacrifice and service was in their culture. Which is why when Peter has this vision about the clean animals, God is communicating to Peter, a Jew, that God is not doing the work of separating the clean from the unclean. Instead, God is in the work of making the unclean clean. This is what Jesus was often confronted about as he was caught eating with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus' response was, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick who need a doctor. So the reason Paul is from confronting Peter is, if anything, more of, have you forgot Peter? Jesus did his ministry around the table full of people who are deemed unclean so that they may be made clean. 
Are you neglecting that work now because it's easier? Because it scratches the itch of those conservatives? Paul, I believe, is begging the question I want us to wrestle with. Rather, should probably say questions. Is anyone allowed at your table? Is everyone allowed at your table? What about the trans person? What about the person who is staunchly against your political views? What about the racist? What about the woke leftist? What about the thief? What about the adulterer? Are you participating in the work Jesus is doing in the world? Or are you too busy trying to tear it down because of the pressure surrounding?